Sportsman Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. He's a retired homicide detective with more than 33 years of law enforcement experience. He's also a United States Marine Corps veteran. And he's a star of a new show on the Investigation Discovery Channel called The Interrogator. And it's coming up on a Law Enforcement Today show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at helpforourheroes.com. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those that suffer from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Their program features first responders and veterans helping first responders and veterans. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Calling us from the great state, the Lone Star State, Texas. Join us on the phone. Phil Waters. Phil is a retired homicide detective. Phil, thanks for joining us on the Law Enforcement Today show. Appreciate you having me, John. Thank you. It is a pleasure and honor. Before we go into your story, I got to say this. Investigation Discovery Channel is one of my favorite channels. Phil has a show coming on. We'll talk about that in a minute. We've had Rod Demery on the show from Murder Chose Me. We had the law enforcement officers from uh, Lone Star Justice on the show. We've had producers and law enforcement officers from Homicide City on the show. And I think we're missing one other one. I can't remember. And, but now we got you. And uh, th- this is such a pleasure for an old retired cop like me to have an old retired cop who's in television on the show. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity. Doesn't it strike you as odd? Do you get that from people like, dude, you're on TV now? Did, did you ever think to yourself, how did I go from being a street cop, a detective, to being a television star? Well, <laughs> I don't know that I'm a star yet. I, I will tell you, it's been quite a journey, and it all started about four years ago with a a case that was featured that my partner and I had on 48 Hours on CBS. And from that time forward, we were contacted by several production companies to do that, that same case and then other cases that we had. So we ended up on a variety of different shows, some of them on ID, some of them on Oxygen. Uh, and so we were able to, uh, I'm not sure how this all came about, but it, it all started about four years ago and 
one of the producers decided that for some reason that they wanted to do a show with me and I said, okay. And I just jumped on the bus and let them drive it. And so now here we are four years later or so. And, and this is about to really happen. So it, I'm as, I'm as shocked by it, I guess, by, uh, as, as much as anybody can be. And the show's called The Interrogator, and it's going to be on Investigation Discovery Channel. What nights is the show going to be on, do you know? Thursday. It's 10 o'clock Eastern Time, 9 o'clock Central Time on ID, Investigation Discovery. They do a great job. I've said it before. Investigation Discovery Channel, I've gotten to the point now, and I'm sure you probably understand where I'm coming from. As a retired police, I don't watch television or even movie cop dramas anymore because they don't get it right. They're so far off. But ID does a really good job. Twofold. Number one is they're really close on a police procedure, but that's not the important thing. What really impressed me most is they give the officers a chance to tell their stories, why they did what they did, the motivations. And it's not a lot of speculation. It's just them telling what they've been through. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. There's a, it definitely has become a platform I think for for law enforcement in general, and it, I guess that's a that's a double edged sword, though, right? So you have the people that that have watched. If you if you figure that the statistics say that most people come in contact with law enforcement two and a half times in their lives, and I don't know what that half is. That I, I don't. That's a little short police officer. I'm not sure where that half comes in, but but they they come in two and a half times in their lives, and their impression and opinion of law enforcement is going to be based on those two and a half times of contact with law enforcement on a personal level. The rest of it, the other 97.5% of it, is going to be based on what they see on television and in the movies. And so you're right when you talk about the production of of television shows that are based in a, a fictional account of some kind. They're so far off, but there's stuff that goes on there that we obviously cannot do and and do not do. And so it, it becomes a uh, kind of a misrepresented image that they're presented. And they fill it up with stereotypes. And one of the things that, that gets me the most, and I see this on social media all the time, there'll be a, a headline about an officer has to use deadly force for whatever reason. Of course, the headline doesn't say that. It just says cop guns down man or something like that. And people right. love to speculate about why the officer did what they did. And it's without any facts whatsoever, without ever hearing from the officer, even looking at the facts of the story. And one of the things that amazes me, even to this day, Phil, is people's fascination with police and law enforcement work. We've been in the trenches for a long time, and it becomes second nature and what we know. And sometimes I don't quite get why people find it so fascinating and interesting. Well, I... I I don't know that I have the answer, but I can tell you one of the answers is, I believe in my experience, is that we are a very select group of people, very select group of of men and women who do this job, as it should be. Uh, We are the thin blue line. We are the first line of defense for any community that law enforcement has a presence in, which is all of them. We are held to a higher standard, as we should be, and we do things that the old saying about 95% of the job that we do is is, uh, is complete boredom. It's that other 5% that's sheer terror. And that's the part, I think, that draws 
almost everyone to the curiosity of what we do in law enforcement. I can tell you, I've never had a job, and I've had a lot of different jobs. I was a platoon commander in the Marine Corps. I was a construction manager for a, a major uh, home building company. Uh, I scooped ice cream when I had my first real job through the paper. I had a lot of jobs, but I can tell you what, that I have never had a job where there were more people that knew how to do my job better than me, having never done it. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? You kind of hit on a point. You said you're a Marine Corps veteran. Uh, thank you for your service there. Uh, how many years did you do in law enforcement total? Total in law enforcement, 33 years. I retired with uh, 33 years. I have spent the last 23 of those years as a homicide detective with the Houston Police Department. And thank you for your service there as well. 33 years is unimaginable in law enforcement. There are days where I miss it. I miss certain aspects of it. And there are things about it, quite honestly, I don't miss. Uh, and that has to do with bureaucracy and politics and all that stuff. But dealing with people, I miss daily. And dealing with brothers and sisters I worked with, I miss all the time. Well, I think that's what everybody would tell you. I think most people that that retire, I think the worst thing that a a cop that's considering retiring can do is to have no plan. And I have had several friends that retired with no plan. And, of course, it becomes frustrating they don't know what to do with their time. I mean, there's, so many, there's only so much fishing and golfing you can do. And then there becomes those gaps that, what, do I, what am I doing? What do I do? And so many of them will go back to work in a smaller agency or a school district or another, another law enforcement agency somewhere because they don't know what to do with what they've got. Now, I, that wasn't my case. I mean, I, I planned my retirement I believe the I believe the Lord puts you where He wants you. I actually retired a year earlier than what I had planned, and some things, uh, some opportunities presented themselves, and it was pretty clear to me after a lot of prayer and, and the consideration that the time was right to do this, to retire and move on into the next chapter of my life. So that was good for me, and it's been great ever since. And this. This opportunity for this television show and so forth and to talk to you, this has been all part of that that plan coming forth. You're absolutely right. You need to have a plan, and we are helpers. We want to help people. We're active. We're busy. And uh, sitting on the porch in a rocking chair, fishing and golfing all the time, you quickly become the get-off-my-lawn guy, and that's not good for anybody. Not everyone has the opportunity to do television or radio, but there's lots of ways they can help. And... Our law enforcement people are, are tremendous assets for our community because they have so much experience in helping people. We're going to talk a bit about your background, some of the cases, and the intricacies and things that people may not understand and comprehend about those working in law enforcement. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center 
provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. The Law Enforcement Today radio show has grown so much and so rapidly. We now have two Facebook pages. You can do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's a new page. Be sure to click like when you get there and follow. In addition, we have our main page, which is Law Enforcement Today. So do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today and be sure to click like and follow that one as well. Return a conversation with retired Police Detective Phil Waters, also United States Marine Corps veteran and star of the Investigation and Discovery television show, The Interrogator, on Thursday nights on Investigation and Discovery Channel. Phil, you've got this great opportunity to tell people what it's like to do law enforcement. And I'll be honest with you, I was amazed by the quality of work and dedication by our homicide detectives in Baltimore. Uh, we'll talk about what the requires of what they do homicide detectives in a little bit but right now i'd like to talk about the first episode of the show the interrogator tell us about that one and the case behind it that the, the first show is going to feature a case involving a 12 year old little boy that named jonathan foster who was kidnapped around christmas eve of 2010 and whose body was later recovered in a ditch in houston and his body had been so uh, degraded and destroyed, we believe, with a, an acetylene torch that his gender could not be determined at the autopsy, and there was no way to determine a cause of death. It was a horrific event. The steps that led up to what occurred are heartbreaking, and uh, that's the first one that's going to be featured on the show. And of course, since the show is called The Interrogator, part of it must be focused on the interrogation of potential suspects. Is that the case with this one? That's correct. So we had several suspects. Uh, I won't say several. We had a couple that were, one in particular, that ended up being convicted. We uh, looked at her pretty hard. We did an interview with her. We got a statement from her. There were a lot of, uh, you'll see in the show, a lot of mechanics that went into speaking with her in two different types of settings. We talked to her in a non-custodial setting, which means that she was not under arrest. She was not in custody. She was free to leave at any point she wanted to. And in fact, in one point in that interview, that initial interview with my partner and I, she asked to leave and she was taken home. Now, she also agreed to come back and she was good to her word. She came back spoke to us a little while longer, and then at one point in that second phase of the non-custodial interview, she decided that she did not want to speak to us any, any longer and, in effect, lawyered up. So we then were taking her to jail. She had a change of heart on the way to the jail. 
made reinitiated contact with us, said that she she wanted to talk to us, that she was not a monster, her words, and wanted to explain the whole story. So we took her back to our office, put her back in the interview room, and this time the interview is going to be a custodial interview because now she is in custody. Miranda, I certainly made sure that she understood her rights, and then she waived those rights knowingly and voluntarily and to uh, to take part in the interview that took place after that. You brought up a very good point when you said that she didn't want to be, or she wasn't a monster. Without getting into details and, and, and being a, a spoiler for the episode, quite often, in my experience, a lot of people, when they know they've been caught, and when they know that you know the facts, and they know that you have the evidence, they'll come out and say something along the lines of, look, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a bad person. And okay. what they usually eat off with is, I didn't mean to do this. Right, right. I'll bet you if you had a dollar for every time you heard it was an accident, I didn't mean to do it, you'd be a wealthy man. Oh, 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 right. The old uh, saying, you know, if I had a a nickel for every one of them, I could buy bubble gum for the rest of my life, right? (laughs) Absolutely. So so it it is, and and I've heard that, you know, and there's a distinction, and you you bring a point up there, uh, John, there's there's a distinction between sitting in a room and talking to a a relatively good person who committed an act of evil and then talking to a person who is just by their very nature evil and committed an act of evil. And I've talked to those, both of those kinds of people. Now, this woman, I would have to say, would fall in the latter category. But, you know, you, you talk to people, what you're trying to get to in that interview room is to establish a relationship of trust. And the days of the dimly lit rooms with two or three people standing around in trench coats and the smoke-filled room with the Houston phone book A through M, those days are over. So we try to establish relationships. I teach interview, and we want a relationship established so that that person will trust you enough to talk about something that is so horrific, uh, the taking of another life by an act of violence, but making them feel comfortable enough that they can speak to you. And that's a, a skill set that people aren't born with. It, and I'll be honest with you. I was never a homicide detective. Most of my work was in narcotics, violent crime, auto theft. And th- you're right. There's two types of people. You have people that, that are never going to say anything. And then you have people that you've got to work with. And all the stuff that you talk about, was long gone. That was gone when I was a rookie. That didn't happen. Right. Sweating people out, the good cop, bad cop stuff, all that stuff never really worked. But part yeah. of it was, I get it, what I'm getting at is having to become friendly and speak to them at a level where they begin to trust you is kind of a an emotional leap for some of us that some people cannot do. For example, you're dealing with someone who murdered a child and, and mutilated a child. And we find that repulsive, but you've got to be able to talk to them in a way that doesn't sound like you're judging them. Absolutely. And I can tell you that, again, and I would, I would tell people this in the room, is that I'm not in here seeking a story. I've got a set of facts here, but what I'm seeking is the truth. And I can't tell your truth. 
the only one sitting in this room. And, and, and you, of course, in the course of the conversation, you get them to acknowledge those things. That makes the relationship more personal. It makes them feel like that you are interested in what they have to say. And it gives them the ability to open up to you. And now, of course, on the part of the interviewer, I mean, it, it depends on your on the way you introduce yourself. I mean, it, it you know it begins at the beginning, right? Like anything else should be. So, it is a situation where every time I walk into an interview room, the first thing I did was I said a small prayer. I walked because I knew that I was walking into darkness. Mm-hmm. My first priority was to be the light in that darkness for their benefit. And so when I get in there, I introduce myself. I tell them they can call me Phil. And we sit down. And everything we do is purposeful in the interview room, the way it is set up, the things that I have to observe, the things I have to listen to. Everything has a purpose in that interview room. And I think that, I think you're right. I think there are, there are people that are not great interviewers. But I believe that when I do instruction in interviewing, I tell everybody in the audience that if you will use the, the techniques and develop the attitude and remember to treat everybody with dignity and respect, you, will, you may not be a great interviewer, but you will be a better interviewer. And that's really what it boils down to. We are talking with retired homicide detective Phil Waters, star of the new television show on Investigation Discovery Channel, The Interrogator. This is a Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com, where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more. That's letradioshow.com. So many people ask me, how did I transition from police work to a career in radio? What did I do to become a music radio DJ? Plus, host of the syndicated Law Enforcement Today radio talk show and podcast. I attended the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, where I learned by doing. At the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, students learn in months, not years. For veterans, some or all your tuition could be covered by your VA benefits. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, training in audio, video production, television, sports, podcasting, radio, and web development. Get more information. Call 800-887-2346 or online at gocsb.com. For special offers and consideration, tell them you heard about them from Law Enforcement Today. Calling us from Houston, Texas area, retired homicide detective Phil Waters and also 33 years in law enforcement, uh, also United States military veteran from Marine Corps, and star of the new television series, The Interrogator, on Investigation Discovery Channel. Check it out on Thursday nights. I believe it'll be 10 o'clock. we got time zones. Don't know which time zone you're in, so just do a Google search for The Interrogator. Phil, there's so many misconceptions in the media. Uh, when I say the media, news, social media, Hollywood in particular, about... Let's choose your your forte, homicide investigation. There's the actual accruing of evidence. Uh, there's the gumshoe detective work where, where you're out there beating on doors and talking to people. That's how a lot of cases are solved. But what we have a lot of questions about 
uh, in particular are the interrogations or the interviews. And just for example, I, I hear one all the time. People say, I know this guy. He would never do that. It must be a forced confession. <laughs> you know, somehow the, the police got him to admit to something he'd never do. And I've never met anybody that would ever be willing to do that, ever. Right. <laughs> You make you make a good point, and I can tell you this, and I and I've heard that myself, and, and especially when I've even even when I've dealt with uh, a loved one who's committed suicide, and they just don't accept that that's what happened, and so the conspiracy theories begin, right? Right. And it is it is uh, it's just as a side note, you know that suicides in law enforcement are last year were more prevalent than line-of-duty death. And it has been that problem since you and I were both rookies. It's been a problem yeah. since... I remember reading about that from Joseph Wamba novels back in the 70s. It was a problem. Right. But it's become... it's become a, and, and it has with veterans as well. So yeah. in today's age, of course, I've had, uh, I've had seven, seven friends of mine that committed suicide, law enforcement officers, uh, over the course of my career... I guess the point uh, the point I'm trying to make here is is that when people say, "I know that person," there's no way they could have done that. Whether it was commit suicide or commit uh, a murder, commit a homicide of some kind, what I will tell them is this: I'm not the I'm not the the brightest bulb, but one thing that I know with an absolute certainty is that anyone, anyone, me, you them, their family, their mom, their dad, whoever is close to them, anyone is capable of any act under the right set of circumstances. Most of the time, we don't get presented that set of circumstances that would cause us to do something that, quote unquote, we would never do. Right. And I've talked to many suspects in the interview room that, you know, I, I, I talked about good people who committed an act of evil. And and I can recognize those people right off the bat that the circumstances occurred for something to happen that in their wildest imagination, they never would have thought they'd have ever done. And everybody that knows them believes the same thing. But the problem is, is that, yes, it did happen. And yes, they did do it because those set of circumstances presented themselves. One of the things I always say is that there are, our prisons are crowded with people who had 10 bad minutes of their life who were great people and, and they handled something the wrong way. And then we have a certain segment of the population that if it wasn't for drugs and alcohol, they never would have committed the act of violence they did. And then you have a very small percentage who are career, vicious, violent, evil people. And don't confuse those three. Right. Well, you know, there's, again, so what we're, what we're talking about is are, are the circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. So for those that, that used uh, drugs or, or abused alcohol, that kind of thing, that was a set of circumstance that caused them to commit an act of violence or do something that under normal circumstances they wouldn't have done. Not an excuse. It's not an excuse, but it is the set of circumstances. You know, when I hear people say that, especially when I've had death penalty cases, I put nine people on death row. Two of them were, were cop killers. And as an aside, one of those was the worst scene I ever made and didn't ever want to make was making a fatality 
line of duty death, and it was a friend of mine. <laughs> so uh, I, I think I've I've touched about every base you can in the course of my career in terms of emotion and having to do the job and get the job done right. You talked about false confessions. I can I can clearly say with a, with a with a very clear conscience, I've never taken a false confession because I've trained myself not to do that. And I and I watch a lot of these shows on ID and so forth, and and I always watch for the interview portion. I want to see what that what that detective is doing, what techniques they're using, how are they approaching, what's their plan, what's their theme, and so forth. And and I've watched some of these that. Good grief, these, these detectives get tunnel vision, and I think that's the biggest mistake a, a detective can make is, is losing their objectivity in the course of an investigation. And that's what results in false confessions. So I, be, I just believe that if, they, if the person, whatever it is their circumstance is, they may find themselves in a situation that they had never, never dreamed in being in. One of the tools we were taught to use, and I learned this from the old timers when I was a young police, is that... In the in interview, in the interrogation, I would give them a piece of information that I knew was not true. And this is one of the ways we would determine whether they were being truthful or not. If it gave them some information that we knew was false and they agreed to it, say, yeah, I did this, I stabbed a person, blah, 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 when that wasn't how they were killed, they were never stabbed, we knew that was an indicator <laughs> that we were wasting our time with this person. Is that a tool you would Why, use? Well, yeah, I've, I've, of course, uh, you know, one of the... Uh qualities of a good interviewer that I talk about in instruction is being patient because time is always on the side of the interviewer unless the person just jumps up and says, you know, I'm done. I don't want to talk. You know, I'm I'm finished. But I can tell you in my career, I worked over 400 homicide cases, murder cases. That doesn't include murder for hires, aggravated assaults, industrial accidents, kidnappings, all those other types of collateral cases that come along. But 400 homicides in the city of Houston in 23 years, 98% clearance rate, and a 90% confession rate. So 90% of the people in those 98% of those cases would talk to me. And it's all about the approach, you know, John. I mean, it's, it's all about how you start. For, for me, I have found it to be successful when you, again, treat people, everyone, with dignity and respect and remember the three things that we all have in common. And these are universal, by the way, race, creed, color, orientation, religious background, nationality. These are all encompassing universal. We all want to be respected. We all want to be loved and we all want the ability to take care of those who love and respect us. We just make different decisions about how we accomplish those three things. Very important, and uh, that's absolute truth. I agree 100%. We are talking with retired homicide detective Phil Waters, 33 years on law enforcement, also a United States Marine Corps veteran and star of the new Investigation Discovery Channel series called The Interrogator. You can see it on Investigation Discovery Channel on Thursdays. Check. Just do a Google search for The Interrogator or ID Channel to find out where and when where you live. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we're going to talk more about homicide investigation and many aspects of law enforcement. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you want to be a guest on a Law Enforcement Today's show, 
just go to our website and contact me through there. Our website is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley. And I never worked in homicide. I did do a lot of homicide cases. And Phil, by the way, our guest is Phil Waters, retired homicide detective from Houston Police Department, 33 years in law enforcement, United States Marine Corps veteran, and star of the Investigation Discovery Channel series, The Interrogator. I was talking with someone the other day in an interview, and they brought up a question. And they asked me if I remember my first homicide. And the answer was yes, stunningly. And uh, truth is, at this point, I don't remember all the details, but I remember the absolute frustration I had uh, being a young rookie police. I was in patrol only like a couple of weeks out of the academy, and uh, some young men were coming out of the woods in Baltimore, and there had been a shooting with a shotgun, and they were carrying their friend, and he'd lost most of his chest from uh, a shotgun wound, and there was absolutely nothing we could do to save his life, and he was barely alive when we got there. And then we wound up finding the guy who did it. Long story short, he was arrested, and the family members were like, not my son, he's a good kid, he would never do this, and the police, we were wrong, we targeted him. We were under pressure to solve this case, so therefore we just grabbed anybody and and made charges stick. And I want to laugh when I hear that, because it still goes on, we still hear it all the time. Absolutely, it is a battle cry for many people. I can tell you that, now I'm pretty straightforward, so when someone would make that kind of an accusation or a family member, I tried to get in contact with family fairly quickly in speaking to suspects because sometimes that was the only way you were going to get to talk to them. I didn't like it when when a family member wanted to sit in, but you know what? I mean, sometimes you have to give a little to get a lot. Mm -hmm. So it was because of my approach and my straightforwardness with them, that they understood is not something that I just made up out of whole cloth, that I have to let evidence lead me to where I need to be. I can't take evidence some direction I might want it to go. Number one, it wouldn't be right to do, and that's not the way I conduct my business, and I would explain that to And I think the, the biggest benefit to law enforcement in general or to, in my case, as a homicide detective, was to listen to what they said and then explain to them a logical, sensible answer. And in most cases, I think of one that it was not received with the the spirit with which I intended it, which was to get everybody calmed down. We're seeking the truth. We're letting evidence lead us where we need to be. I'm not making this stuff up. And when it would involve, say, a, a mother, it's her son, like in your case. There's no way, you know, you're making this up. He did this. He's a good boy, blah, 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 and all that good stuff. I said, look, I've got a son. I understand exactly how you feel. And you've got to be able to express an empathy to the people you're talking to. And once that's done, at least in my experience, I have found that it establishes a relationship that's not born out of something negative. You can turn that and you have a, a... the ability to sit and talk to people calmly and make sense. Now, there's some that are just not going to buy off into it completely because that's just the nature of people. 
But I told those folks that, look, I've got no dog in this fight, except that I'm trying to do two things. Number one, I'm trying to bring about a sense of peace for the victim's family, because regardless of who they were, whether they were some you know, crack monster in the ditch or they were some socialite in the upscale section of the city, they were somebody's mom, they were somebody's dad, somebody's brother, sister, someone's friend. They were someone to somebody else. So I think if you keep that in mind and you can talk to virtually anybody about the things that they are thinking or believing about their family member that you now have in custody or you've got them in an interview room talking to them and they start to see a little bit about what you're doing. Most people just want to be listened to and they want an explanation that makes sense. In my career, and I'm assuming in yours, you have an incredibly high clearance rate. You have an incredibly high confession rate. When I say incredible, I don't mean unbelievable. It's, it's a sign of someone who's really good at what they do. And that doesn't come by accident. That's acquired from years of, of dedicated work. But there have to be some cases where you knew who did it, but you weren't able to get enough evidence to even arrest them. Did you experience those? Absolutely. I've got cases now that when I retired, of course, I very much regretted not solving and especially when I knew who my suspect was. And there was just not enough to get that charge filed, to get that indictment, to get that person in custody and bring them to a successful prosecution. Those are heartbreakers, you know. I I just, I'm very competitive. I hated leaving without a 100% clearance rate. But I know that in reality, that's pretty hard to attain with those numbers in the city the size of Houston. But there are those cases, and I look back on them now, and, and my heart breaks for the families of the victims. That, that's where I really get uh, attached to it. And, and then there have been other cases that I've had that I thought I would never solve. And, you know, I mean, in fact, there was one, as I was retiring, it was a, a pretty prominent member of the community had been gunned down in the parking lot of a McDonald's that he owned. He owned several McDonald's in Houston, and he was well-known. Just, a, just a, a great man in the community. He would give people second chances. He was a guy of second chances. He ended up getting gunned down in the parking lot when he was making a money run, although he didn't get the money, and they took off. Well, oh gosh, all sorts of conspiracy theories and so forth and so on. We polygraphed people. We interviewed scores of people. We had bunny trails that we ran down and so forth and so on. I mean, it was just a crazy thing. Of course, we had all these McDonald's owners and they were they were putting money up for reward money. We were putting up they were putting up uh, billboards. It was it was an incredible investigation, and we covered everything we could, and never got to a an identifiable suspect. And the one last thing I did, the one investigative decision I made, was we had we knew that the owner had been shot by people inside a vehicle because we didn't have casings in the parking lot. But the bullet that we took out of him was a forty cal, so we knew what kind of weapon we were talking about. I had sent the bullet off to ATF to have them check up their system. And the last thing I did was we had a another series of investigations involving a armored car a robbery hijacker that would lay in wait and he would kill the guards as his crew was robbing the armored car. And he was very, very clever, very smart guy. He eventually was actually killed in the process of robbing another armored car. 
and he was taken out with a, a counter sniper, police uh, law enforcement counter sniper. Well, the vehicle that he used matched the vehicle that was used in our case at the McDonald's. We had it on video. Did any license plate or anything else? So I was talking with an FBI agent who had worked the cases and told him about what my theory was about how this person had been shot through the door, through the it looked like it was a shot fired from the driver's seat through the passenger window on the other side. And uh, he's telling me that the vehicle that they got from this bank hijacker had a bullet hole in the post between the rear passenger window and the front passenger window. And I just looked at it. I mean, it was one of those moments, right? One of those, the hair stands up on the back of your neck moments. And I said, could I give you the bullet? Is the bullet still in the post. He said, yes, we're, they're, they're processing it, FBI lab, blah, blah, blah. I said, let me give you this bullet, and would you please compare it to the bullet? Anyway, long story short, last investigative decision I made a month before I retired, six months later, the bullet matches. We have our suspect in the killing at the McDonald's, and he's dead. Suspect's already dead. But what a relief it was to call the family. Uh, this man was was friends of the mayor, I mean, the whole bit. What a great relief it was to call his daughter and tell her that we have solved the murder of her father. Phil Waters, again, the name of the show on Investigation Discovery Channel is The Interrogator. It's on Thursday nights. Do a Google search and find out what time in your area. Phil Waters, thanks so much for your service, and thanks so much for being a guest on our Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. I appreciate you having me on, John. Thank you so much. In every community across the United States, towns, cities, states, we have law enforcement officers. We have first responders. We have incredible stories of heroism from our first responders. From law enforcement officers, EMTs, paramedics, firefighters. In addition to that, we have heroic crime victim survivors. If you want to tell your story of survival and how you recovered and how you rebuilt your life, feel free to contact us. We'd love to have you as a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. We made it so easy to get a hold of us, too. There's many different ways. Go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. The Contact Us page of the webpage. Download our free app on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. You can contact us through the free app. You can contact us on our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. Heck, send me an email. My email address is J, that's J-A-Y, at lawenforcementtoday.com. You see, we'd love to hear your story. And we know, we hear so often, I have a story to tell, but no one will give me a platform. Law Enforcement Today is your platform. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us here at Law Enforcement Today. On behalf of everyone associated with the show and the website, This is John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya.